Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Lord, help us to see how rich we truly are, both in material possessions and in the blessings you shower upon us each day. May we who are rich learn to share what we have with others. Help us to find abundance in our willingness to give so that we may begin to live a life that is truly never-ending. Amen. And the scripture today comes from Colossians 3, 23-24. It's whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for people. You know that you will receive an inheritance as a reward. You serve the Lord Christ. The word of God for the people of God. So our theme for worship has been making a difference. Uh, and so today we kind of wrap up, we kind of recap. Uh, we look at, um, is it a good life that we are looking for or is it an abundant life? Uh, a good life or an abundant life? If you heard in the, what I call the paragraph, um, those of you who helped out by letting me record you and uh, videotape it and then edit it together, if you remember the end of all that we do about taking our next step in our faith journey with Christ through worship, connect, grow, and serve, is to move from a good life to an abundant life. And so moving to an abundant life, I think it's helpful for us to recap where we've been over the last couple of weeks. And I really want you to hear, I've said this every time I've stood up here during stewardship, stewardship campaign, stewardship series, the word stewardship is about more than money. I mean, I grew up, you've heard me say this three or four times now, I grew up that every time the pastor said stewardship, my dad said, hold on to your wallet, son. That when the preacher starts talking about the budget and about excitement and about transformation and oh, be careful when they pull out that 3D model and the blueprints, hold on to your wallet. I've uh, gone through seminary um, just really not liking the TV preachers and their hallelujah hankies that you can purchase for $20 if you'll just call 1-800, right? Stewardship is about more than money. That in a lot of ways, the last 50 to 75 years of the American church, we have done a poor job of letting people know what we're about. When you ask, you've heard me say this regularly, in the public opinion polls, people who don't go to church, about people who do go to church, that one of the top three things they say is that we're about money. I really think we're about something else, don't you? I think we're about making a difference. That stewardship is about more than money. When we look at where we've been, we've talked about how being a good steward is about making a difference. And everybody wants to make a difference. Business as usual is boring. We really want to see transformation happen. Not just in our own lives, but in the lives of our families. We want to see transformation happen in our community, in our zip code, in our country. That steward, being a good steward, is about making a difference. Now, there are some expectations around stewardship. There are some definitions, if you will. When we look at those steward definitions from the Bible, we learn really quickly, right? We talked about Joseph as a steward, um, that Joseph owned nothing. This is Joseph Egypt, not Joseph Jesus, carpenter, father of Je right, Jesus, right? 
owns nothing, but he's responsible for it all, is elevated by the master. You can't just decide that you're responsible for something. You have to let the master elevate you. And once elevated, you're accountable for your actions with regard to the place where you are responsible for and that you should appreciate, not like, oh wow, I'm so happy, thank you for making me in charge of that, but you should appreciate that the thing that you hold in trust should be better than it was when you found it when you finally leave it. It's the old Boy Scout, leave it better than you found it. This is the definition of a steward, and I would say that all of us are stewards of something. We've talked about how stewardship can be um, not just the the home we own, the job that we have, the children that we raise, the, the parents that we raise, the lives that we live, but even the hobbies that we have, the relationships that we connect with, that we are steward of so much that God has given us in trust, these wonderful things. And as we continue to think about what we've learned over stewardship, I've presented to you, because you're mostly engineers, a diagram, right? (laughs) A Venn diagram, where we can think about what are the qualities that make stewardship happen. And again, don't think dollar signs here. Think relationships. That when we are consistent with our love and relationships, it makes a difference. I mean, we've all heard our parents say that they love us, but the thing that makes a difference is when the parent says, I love you consistently over time. That we've all been mentored by somebody, but commitment, that someone is committed to us, not committed to everyone. Because if you're committed to everyone, are you really committed to anyone? But we remember those mentors that consistently poured themselves into us, and we're committed that we would make a difference in the world. And then lastly, convinced. Convinced, not just, um, not just giving our money to any old good place, but being convinced that the mission and purpose and project of a particular place that you are committed to, that you will be consistent in supporting makes you a good steward. You know, um, I really think that these uh, three qualities can really be empowering, not just empowering in our giving, but empowering in our relationships, in our priorities, in the ways that we move through the world around us. And I would say that there is in this room, uh, no one who's perfect, not even me, that we all suffer from not doing one of these things very well and that we probably excel really well in doing others. I would let you guess which one I'm not good at, but we all know it's consistency, right? We all know that there's not a detail that Peter hasn't met that he can't forget, right? But I am committed, I'm convinced. I just have to set that reminder on my phone to make sure I do the things I'm committed and convinced in a consistent way. Is there anybody here that's like that? Maybe you are consistent. You don't need the reminder, but you need to be reminded what to be committed to. Maybe it's being convinced. You need a little more logic, a little more data, a little more reason why. 
You see, everybody excels at one and suffers with another. And that together, we become good stewards of what God has given us responsibility for. And so what does it look like when we're a little wonky in our qualities of stewardship? Well, if we're committed to the cause and consistent, then we are strolling along with no real idea of how to make a difference anywhere. If we are consistent and convinced, convinced of the direction, consistent in going, but not really committed, it takes us a long time to get there. We're superficial. We say the right words. We do the right behaviors, but they never make a difference of quality. And if we are uh, all in, we wear the t-shirt, we are committed to the place, we are that person that uh, cheers and roots and screams and so excited for everything, but we never consistently do anything. We're just sporadic. I mean, when we're there, woo, we're there. When we're not, we're not. I often think about people who are in this category as object permanence people, right? You remember like with, with itty bitty babies, right? The reason why peekaboo is so fun is because they really don't know what's real and what's not. And so you cover up their eyes and they go, ooh, you disappeared. And you pull your, uh, your hand away from their eyes and they go, oh, you're back, peekaboo. It's wonderful. <laughs> Some of us are peekaboo stewards. I mean, when we're there, it's great. But we just didn't know, how did it all disappear? And then, hey, it's back again. That's wonderful. Where are you in this mix? And it doesn't have to be about money. I mean, I, I, have, this, um, I have this conviction. I mean, it, it, it's actually told really well in a stewardship preacher joke. You know, the, the preacher stands up in the pulpit last day of stewardship campaign and says, I got good news and I got bad news. Have you heard this one before? It's a great one. I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is we have more money than we'll ever know what to do with. The bad news is it's still in your pocket. <laughs> right, I am convinced that we have all that we need. That, that really, God doesn't need our money. But what God does need is our ability to be committed, to be convinced, and to be consistent in our discipleship, to be good stewards of what we've been entrusted with. We think about other things that we have paid attention to over the last three weeks. We have talked about the butterfly effect or the Jesus effect, that idea that if a butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil, that there might be a tornado in Texas. I still think that it's more likely for it to be a hurricane in Texas, but you go with what you want to, right? And that what would it be like if we did random acts of grace, not wondering what the cause and effect will be down the road, but just knowing that if we flap our wings, doing a Christ-like gesture, that the ripples will come out from there. It's how we pay attention to stewarding our relationships. Instead of only being Christ-like to one or two, we try to do it in every place and in every way. It's called stewarding our influence. Our scripture passage for today comes from Colossians, and it's a little bit of a risky passage. If you have read around the pericope, this uh, 23 and 24, um, this is in Paul's household code. Um, the household code was the place where Paul gets a bad rap for saying, wives, submit to your husbands. 
Children don't frustrate your parents. I still think that one's very true. And slaves obey your masters. I mean, this is not the woohoo, we're so glad we're in Colossians moment. But in the midst of this, after he gives all of these instructions to all of these folk who might find themselves in controlled and difficult places, whether it's wives submitting to their husbands, whether it's slaves submitting to their masters, or whether it's, sorry guys, the children submitting to their parents, that in the end, it doesn't really matter where you are and what you're doing, whatever you do, do it from the heart. Do it for the Lord, not for people. You know that you will receive an inheritance as a reward. You serve the Lord Christ. And that's powerful. I mean, um, I just spent a week in the Pacific Northwest with a bunch of young clergy from the Great Plains Annual Conference. They were bright and smart and quick, and it was intimidating. I, you know, I, I believe that when you're around bright, smart, and quick people, you should keep your mouth shut, right? Because uh, until you speak, people don't know whether you're um, an idiot or not. But if you speak, you remove all doubt, and then everyone knows. <laughs> so I, as their guide on the trip, um, I engaged a lot of, it's time for some silent meditation. Just kidding. Um, but it was so fascinating. The idea around Seattle and the Pacific Northwest is either it is the canary in the coal mine for the church, because the number of religious affiliated people in Seattle um, is less than anywhere else in the United States. It's down around 20%. And then when you look at the biggest group of people who are affiliated religiously, um, it is either the Catholics um, or it's the Pentecostals. We could talk more, but... Um, and, and there's so few Catholics and Pentecostals that, that you can't, I mean, we, we do ministry around here, you know, either, either you're Baptist or you're not, right? And so I spent a lot of my ministry saying, we're not Baptists, we're not Baptists, we're not Baptists, we're not Baptists. And people go, woohoo, you're not Baptist, and they come. <laughs> but in the Pacific Northwest, you can't say, we're, we're not nobody, we're not nobody, we're not nobody, we're not nobody, and then people come. It's a completely different way, right? We trade on duty in the Bible belt, right? Hang out a sign, say Jesus loves you, and people show up. You hang out a sign in the Pacific Northwest that says Jesus loves you, they drive by and they go hiking on Mount Rainier because it's far more majestic than watching a preacher uh, do a 20-minute uh, sermon. That when you have to compete with Puget Sound and Columbia River and um, the aftermath of Mount St. Hel Helens, there's a deeper mystery and divinity in the nature around you. And so what we heard is that churches that were successful uh, in the Pacific Northwest did it because they tapped in, not to denominational loyalty, not to duty, not to blue laws or Constantinianism. They plugged in because they found something deep inside everyone. Um, Pascal said it was a God-shaped void that we try to fill with everything until restlessly we finally find our rest in God and fill it with God. Whatever you do, do it from the heart. Not for the preacher, not for the denomination, not for the bishop, not because your neighbor's looking over you as you read, write out your pledge card, not for any of them. Do it from the heart and for the Lord and not for people. And then this whole inheritance thing is interesting. Uh, one uh, religious, cultural, sociological guy that we listened to um, uh, for a lecture said that if you listen really closely, um, there's uh, over 2,000 people come to Seattle for, to, um, to live every month. 
every month, 2,000 people. He says, and if you listen really hard, you can hear right about the time the planes land at Seattle, Tacoma, people throwing their affiliations out the door. As they get off that plane, they don't belong to anyone because they've gone to the place of the Wild West, of the frontier, of the gold rush, of dot-coms, of um, Amazon and Starbucks. You don't need anybody else, just need yourself. Now there's something flawed and strange in that. You see, everybody needs somebody else. And so whatever you do, do it from the heart as it hits that place of need for others. I found it interesting, uh, and of course we recapped around priorities. Um, does anyone not remember um, uh, Josh Lemon's putting uh, a folding table up here with a big tote and showing us that big rocks go first, right? When we think about what it means to go from a good life to an abundant life, those are powerful words. What is a good life? Is it 2.4 children? Is it a three-car garage? Is it a, a pool in the backyard? Is it a fully funded pension plan? Is it a premium health insurance program? I don't know, what is the good life for you? It was eerie to walk around Seattle. Um, there literally was a coffee shop on every corner. I know we kind of joke, right? This is the birthplace of Starbucks. In fact, we were so like blase, we we're like, I'm not going to that Starbucks. Hey, look, I can see on uh, Yelp that there's a re reserved roastery on uh, Capitol Street. It's the only one in the United States. It's Starbucks, let's go there. <laughs> and so instead of a $5 cup of coffee, we had a $12 cup of coffee. <laughs> which I don't really like strong coffee, and so I just put more milk in it, which I'm pretty sure was defeating the purpose. But we walked around, the good life was everywhere. They said that the average um, income uh, in Seattle, North Seattle, um, was uh, $150,000 a year, average income. That housing, that people were moving further and further out uh, because the average cost of um, a house to own property there in Seattle was uh, north of half a million dollars, $600,000 for a tiny, cute little house. What is the good life? Um, we stayed in an Airbnb that um, uh, you could have 10 people stay. Um, it had a radiant floor heat. That's the coolest stuff ever, right? No vents, uh, no, none of that stuff, right? But there was um, wires in the cement floor, cement, um, that would radiate heat. It was everywhere except in the bathrooms. <laughs> Did not make sense to me, but okay. And for us to stay there for a week was $3,200. $3,200. Maybe I don't have a good idea, but a hotel room is like 100 right? It was amazing to see how everything was more, and that everyone was hustling for more. I think a difference between the good life and the abundant life is the ability not to see that volume matters, but that quality matters. That it's not about more stuff, but rather it's about taking care of the stuff that you have from good to abundant life. How are we stewards of what we have? How are we committed to the cause, convinced of the place, consistent in what we're doing? 
I've heard stories from what you're doing. Some of you are, are so deeply um, called and committed to Christ that you are taking graduate school studies from a seminary at night after you teach kids all day. That, that some of you have um, retired two or three times and are currently working on a men's ministry to form older adults after retirement because that's the time in which suicide is most likely for older men. After kids are out, retirement's happened and they see this is all that's left. One of you is starting a small group that's gonna hike Big Bend. I mean, there is such deep stewardship in this place such deep commitment, some conviction and consistency to what you're doing, that we're on the path from the good life to the abundant life. I used to end stewardship campaign sermons like this, the last one where I'd say, if you've never given anything, give something. If you've given something, give a set amount on a monthly basis. If you give a set amount on a monthly basis, make it a percentage of your income. If you do a percentage, go from 1% to 2%. Each year over year until you're to 10%, that's how you become a tithing Christian. I really think the message to say if you want to go from good to abundant, be a steward of something. Know that you've been elevated by the master. Know that you, you own none of it, but you're responsible for all of it. And at the end of the day, be a good Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. Leave it better than you found it. And so if you feel like hanging around here in this place, dropping roots in this place, putting anchor down in this place, has transformed you, then pay it forward. Pay it forward. I mean, God's got all the money that God needs, but maybe what we need is the opportunity to be consistent in our love, to be committed to something outside of ourselves, and to be convinced that there is good in the world and that God is calling us to take our next step. From good to abundant life, it's a powerful step. It's a powerful opportunity. It's a great way to make a difference. Uh, when we get to the point in the offering, y'all know me, I'm really low key. Um, I, I, if I could, I'd put a basket in the back and you put your pledge card in when you want to. But it's a lot more appropriate and SBRC appreciates it when I do four weeks of stewardship and we set a budget and so, if today's the day you'd like to fill out your pledge card, there are some in the pews. Um, if you're a guest here today, please, there's no expectation. Just enjoy and experience um, an opportunity of worshiping uh, God today. Um, in the future, as this place becomes home, we hope that the uh, Holy Spirit will move you uh, to want to make the world a different place. But for today, uh, we're thankful that you're here. Um, you can fill out that pledge card. You can place it in the offering plate. We have envelopes if you want to be um, confidential in what you give. If you're not ready to make a decision today, um, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll be um, asking you and making some phone calls. You can drop off your pledge card uh, to the office. I even think we have a way that you can fill out the pledge card online um, if you're allergic to pen and paper. It's a powerful opportunity to move from the good life to the abundant life, to make a difference. I know for sure the church has made a difference in my life. I wonder how much it's made a difference in yours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.